Bad Boss Brief, a strategic guide on how not to be an asshole at work. You'll learn about bad bosses, how they can be detected and handled, as well as how to tell if you happen to be one. Join an executive and an executive coach, both artists working in marketing and advertising for over two decades, who are here to offer you the ultimate guide on how to navigate any employment landscape. Here are your hosts, Eugene S. Robinson and Stephanie Payrollo. Welcome to the Bad Boss Brief. I'm Stephanie Payrollo. And I'm Eugene S. Robinson. And today we are going to talk about the spoiled boss. (laughs) (laughs) This is the the guy, and it is often a man, who expects his team to cater to him, to smooth his passage through life and work, and to bring him his oat milk latte with two dashes of cinnamon exactly at 11 o'clock. That's the guy. I've had one that was a woman. Um, so okay. We can get to that later. Okay. And yeah. I want to clarify, because we've talked about needy bosses. We've talked about mm-hmm. different kinds of bosses and just specifically the spoiled boss. So we've all heard, many of us have heard the phrase invisible labor, which yeah. is work that is done in the home or at the workplace, often by women, often by women of color to make sure that everything is moving along smoothly. Right? Mm-hmm. It's the stuff that isn't acknowledged, that's not seen, where people are not getting credit. That's not what this episode is about. Yeah. What this episode is about is a kind of behavior that I call overfunctioning. Mm-hmm. It's when one adult does for another adult something that the second adult is perfectly capable of doing. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I, I, I know this is my life <laughs> at jujitsu, you know? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, lots of reference points and touchstones for this one. So are you the overfunctioner? Like, do you overfunction for other people or do other people overfunction for you? Um, I, I, I don't consider it overfunctioning. I mean, if I'm doing something with say the jujitsu Academy, I'm a part owner, so maybe I'm serving serving myself, but I, I don't draw any paycheck from it. So then maybe I'm helping other people. But you know, uh, some guy was like, "Could you stay 15 minutes later today? I lost my key." I go, "Don't worry, Danny. I got to take care of everything. I'll turn the heat on for you." You know, when everything else indicates that what I would really actually do is what I want to do, which is go tough titty, gotta go. You know, so. <laughs> Well, and I think it's it, it is useful, and we will try to unpack this notion of overfunctioning because there are some places, there are some people who they enjoy doing that. It serves them in some way. But the genesis for this was a man that you and I both worked for, although you worked for him briefly, and I worked for him for a longer time. CEO of a large advertising agency. This was a number of years ago, mm-hmm. and this guy had an excellent EA, you know, wonderful executive assistant. Yeah. And there were a couple things that were notable about him. One was, and he was in his 30s at the time. He was a young CEO. He had his EA print out all of his emails on paper and he yeah. would respond in writing and then give her back the papers so that she could respond in email, right? The second thing, what he wasn't dyslexic. There was no, this is just how he wanted to get things done. Mm-hmm. He. The second thing was, she would bring him a sandwich in the middle of the morning and the crust had to be cut off. He also had a large, he had a large office and yeah. his conference room, he had a small conference. Of course table he did. Of course he did. Yeah. He insisted that it was glass, clear glass. The table. Which meant the table, which meant that it had fingerprints on it. So she mm-hmm. had to come in multiple times a day with the Windex and the paper towels to wash it off because he found the finger markings reprehensible. That's just, that's a short list of the things that I was able to see coming into his office. Needless to say, I didn't get the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches with the crust cut off. (laughs) It was only for him. It sounds, I'm sorry to go regional on this, but it sounds so LA though. I know, I know this was not LA. Was he, did he have his roots in LA? No. Okay. So that maybe by reputation, he heard that this is the way things are supposed to work, right? So again, this is uh, a number of years ago, possibly a different era. Although I will note that that EA, who was excellent, left mm, as soon as she could. Yeah. Because that's not, you know, that's not what she wanted. Um, 
so tell me a little bit about, you know, did you have the boss that you had that demanded that you cater to their kind of emotional and logistical needs? Uh, yeah, this, this would have been one also that you worked for as well, but more briefly than I did. Um, <laughs> and when you said, and I was kind of like drifting when I was reading it, and then you got to the part about the emails, and I was like, oh my God, this, I had a boss like that, that that being the, uh, the, uh, uh, um, what what is it? Uh, uh, how do you the accused fr finance uh, uh, finance fi fraudulent financier Carlos Watson who would who would you know it wasn't enough to send him an email. A lot of times he would say, "Print it out for me." Why? Okay, which I did ask. You know, you're killing the trees. So he goes, "I want to be able to read it wherever I am." <laughs> he had a mobile phone. <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly but then so i understood it for what i think it really is which it's kind of like it's like fraternity hazing you were asked to do these things that don't make any sense to you but what they show is a certain amount of fealty to either the leader in this instance or the operation um and if you were to balk at any of this then you get dinged with that famous uh uh yeah, that famous workplace uh, phrase not a team player <laughs> Right. Not a team player because didn't want to print, didn't want to go through the steps that you have to do when you're getting hazed. But, you know, after 10 years, it's not really hazing anymore. It's just a way of, like Bukowski said, a way of doing, way of doing and being done. So, yeah. you know. Well, and there are different reasons why, in that case, the the request for overfunctioning, the desire to be spoiled, yeah. is yeah. some kind of a test. It's some sort mm -hmm. of a loyalty, you know, quiz. Yeah. The kind of overfunctioning that really gets my goat is when it's expected. Right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's funny. I was, I, our last episode, I was all about compassion. I was all about like openness. And then I had this interaction, which I won't go into. It was not a work interaction with an older man who is used to the world doing anything he wants all the time. Mm -hmm. And there's an expectation that all the women around him are going to cater to his every whim. And it's mm -hmm. cultural. It's something that he grew up with and is deeply rooted. And of course, I don't play that way. So we had some interesting conversations about like, you know, that's that's not how this works. But recognizing that it's not, in some ways, it's not really his fault. That there mm -hmm. is there are generations of older white men who grew up having women cater to their emotional, logistical needs and, and mm -hmm. just kind of smooth their way in life, whether it's the wife who stays home, takes care of the kids, makes sure the household runs, or even people at work. You know, I, I when I was at Apple, Apple sent me to Japan uh, several times. One, for pieces I was writing, but two, there was a problem in the Apple Japan office, some sort of problem. Uh, they, wanted, they wanted to extend reach. So I said, okay, we're going to send somebody from California, that somebody being me, he needs to have space in the office. And he'll be working on some stuff there. I was there five, six days. So I go to Tokyo and I go into the office and <laughs> I didn't see a single man in that office stand up at all, ever. The women in that office were frazzled. And, and it was like, it was like, it, to overlay these two pictures together, it was like some kind of weird, you know, Max Senate comedy. The women were zipping back and forth and doing the. And at one point, I see a woman take a cup of coffee. I go, "Oh man, oh, she's tanked up on caffeine. That's what's happening." And she takes it and she puts it down on one of the guys' desk. And the guy doesn't look, doesn't say thank you, just kind of wait, does this hand wave thing to wave her off. And I'm like, huh. Maybe this is why the birth rate here is plunging. Because <laughs> do you want to do this for eight hours and then go home and do it again for eight more hours? No, you do not. Right. You know. So, um, and I actually uh, I was appalled enough when I got back to California and we had meetings post facto that, in so far as was possible, I put the knives in all those guys' backs. I said, you know, you could actually get rid of those guys, hire ten more women. Uh, or how about this? Hire five women and pay them what you're paying those guys, and you'd have a fully functioning, healthy office. But there, that was just it was it was it was. I felt guilty watching it. It was one of those things. It was terrible. Well, and we've had long careers, so we've seen cultural changes. But some of the things that I'm observing are happening now. 
These are recent. This is not, you know, decades old. And I think that men in power have gotten slightly more aware of the optics. They mm -hmm. might not ask a EA or a female subordinate to bring them, you know, sandwiches with the crust cut off. Yeah. Uh, but there is still an expectation that the things that are difficult for them will be done by other people. And that might be something small, like, you know, go and get my dry cleaning. Um, that might be something a little bit more significant. But I think what's useful is to look at what do you do if you are in a situation where you have a boss who is spoiled? Mm -hmm. right? So what what are some of the tactics? And I think I think the first thing is you want to assess how much you need the job. Right. A lot of times the people who are being asked to do this overfunctioning are relatively junior. They're maybe in a really competitive industry. It might be the entertainment industry. It might be the arts. It might be advertising. Yeah. yeah, where there's a lot of creative people who want to get, you know, climb up the corporate ladder. Right. And I think you need to look at, is this part and parcel of this job? Is the expectation that if I am the junior, you know, assistant account executive, that I am going to indeed be providing caffeinated beverages for everybody on set? Okay, you get to be on set. You need to figure out like how how much of that is is something that just comes with the territory. I think it's also useful to understand your individual susceptibility to overfunctioning. Because mm -hmm. what I have found is that there's a lot of women who come into the workplace with lived experience in their family of origin or in intimate relationships with alcoholics and drug addicts. And they are used to cleaning up after alcoholics and drug addicts. And mm -hmm. these can be really high functioning, you know, people with addictions. But these women are used to making sure that everything keeps running in that mm -hmm. kind of chaos. And they can become really attached to it. It can become a familiar feeling. So, you know, when I'm doing executive coaching or working with a team, I won't say what is in my mind, which is, so which one of your parents was the alcoholic or addict? But right. what I will do is invite those types of women to examine what do you get out of this equation? Because mm -hmm. they will often come in and talk to me as a consultant about their frustration with all the overfunctioning that they have to do. I'm working 60 hours a week and I have to do this, that, and the next thing for the person. But mm -hmm. I ask them, what does it serve? And a lot of times they're doing it because it works for them. They feel connected to the boss. They feel yeah. like it's job security. They yeah. like being in on all of the information and intelligence that they get by being so intimately intertwined. So I think there are and, people where it serves them. Yeah, it's in plus there's a historical precedent. Let, let's not for a second forget that Stalin was a secretary. Right? He was a secretary of the party. I'm not the leader. I'm the secretary, right? So um, ultimately he finagled his way into a position where he knew more than everybody else about the functioning of the government. So it was just like, let's let the secretary kill everybody, <laughs> which is kind of well, what happened. Right? And, so. and there can be, if you are in this circumstance, it's, mm -hmm. it is a valid strategic ploy to yep. stay in that circumstance, do that for a couple of years and then see if you can rise up. Now you need to be mindful of the fact it's very hard to move from lackey to leader within yep. the same organization because people have, they, they have a story about you. Yep. So the, and the third thing you can do, especially if you're a little bit more senior is you can start setting boundaries. And one of the things can be to challenge the narrative. So these leaders have been doing this for a long time. They were doing it before you work for them. They'll keep doing it after you work for them, unless you start to shift the narrative. So, you know, if once you know what is expected of your job, you can start to kind of name things. Mm -hmm. Like if you're a mid-level person, you could say something like, I'd like to talk about my priorities. Right now, I'm, and you're saying this to your boss, right now I'm spending two hours a week doing insert, insert stupid menial task here. Right. I'd prefer to be focusing on more important business-oriented task. Yeah. If you could help me understand how you'd like to prioritize my time, is there someone else who could do in stupid menial task? Because what you're doing is you're giving them, you're naming it. Yeah. I can keep doing, I can keep getting your dry cleaning. If that's how you want me to spend time, I can bring your pet to the pet sitter. I can do those things. But that means the other more important business metric measuring thing is not getting done. It, I think that largely depends on how you deliver that information. I mean, it, my, my, I would add a fourth 
because my ammo when dealing with a spoiled boss has been the one used by American teenagers all over the world at time immemorial. I want you to go mow that lawn. Okay. Did you mow the lawn? Yeah, I did. You go out. It doesn't look like you did it very well. Uh, well, I'll get it next time. <laughs> and pretty soon, eventually, they will stop asking. Now, you figure, well, this is a dangerous, dangerous kind of high wire act, is it? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. You can't be so bad at that that they think you're bad at the entirety of your job. But that means you really have to kill it in the portion of your job that you really like before they go, you know what? You know what? Let's just give this to Jimmy and and you do this thing that you do. Like make them make that decision themselves without being really obvious about it. it I don't say do that. I just say that that's worked for me in the past. So. It, is, it is an option. The challenge is that, you know, I think don't underestimate how angry a leader will be if you call them on this. Right. Because right. Well, they, these leaders often carry a narrative in yeah. their mind about who they are. Like I, I once worked with a guy who was an executive creative director and he thought of himself as a really good guy. He frequently talked about his close relationship with his wife and his daughters. One of these like, I support women. And he was very inappropriate with one of the women that worked there. And he used to draw naked pictures of women. That's what draw? he used to do. Draw. Draw naked pictures of women in his free time. And then he would give them to this, the receptionist and have her go out and get them framed and then come back and pick them up. And it's like, why we don't, that's still a, a naked woman picture at work is still a naked woman picture at work. This is not a fine art establishment. Right? Yeah. This was, you know, and he, he also wanted to do a, he wanted to do a film about a man who did, it was basically like drawings that were essentially pornography. Like if you put in AI of a woman on all fours with something dripping from her mouth, you'd get this guy's work. Yeah, and yeah. I didn't want to do, I was like, no, we're not doing a, a project on that. And so he took it to the receptionist, took a book of this guy's work and without mm -hmm. any explanation, just put it in front of her mm -hmm. and said, what do you think about this? And of course, she's a young receptionist. This is the boss. He's yeah. showing her, you know, pornography and yeah. asking for her opinion. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. the, the, I, but I think what's interesting and important is that this man thought he was a good boss. He yeah. thought he was an equitable leader. He thought yeah. that he was developing, giving this, young, mentoring this young woman by giving her an opportunity to participate. And when you, when I pushed back to him, yeah. when I said, this is actionable, this is sexual harassment, you can't do this. Mm -hmm. The rage was so significant that he, I think he ended up getting me fired. I certainly wasn't working there a few months later, even though my performance had been really strong. So I do yeah. think it's important to understand if you challenge these types of leaders mm -hmm. and you bump up against their narrative about themselves as a good leader, it mm -hmm. can cause a kind of rage and anger yeah. that isn't commensurate with what it is that you're doing or not doing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that seems to address your third point. So that's just, this is why I came up with the, the cheesy fourth point workaround. Because, yeah, a lot of times when you impinge on somebody's a uh, uh, sense of self. Um, it, it could be a dangerous thing in whatever circumstance. It right. is. I, I tell you, I was playing. I was playing Scrabble with somebody, and they're like, "Oh yes, you do all this fighting and stuff, but uh, you're not going to beat me in Scrabble." <laughs> and I beat them in Scrabble with a four-letter word, "caca," which is in the dictionary. And so I won with like that. That was my winning kill. That was a kill stroke. And of course, I'm not the best winner. So I'm laughing and I'm chortling and I'm like upbraiding them. And then I actually, it's kind of quiet from that side of the room. I actually look over and I can see she's like having a real problem. Like not even jokey joke. Like, like, like I'm about to get hurt is what I was, what I'm, what I'm sensing. So I just kind of like try to kind of deescalate and move on from the game because she had this idea in her mind that she was this great sc Scrabble player. And then she gets beaten with caca, <laughs> no, which was totally amusing to me. But it what clearly, like I had my spider sense, I felt physically imperiled. 
And, uh, you know, so you have to be careful when you uh, trample on people's understanding of themselves. Absolutely. And the last suggestion is, you know, we're talking about menial tasks, right? Ordering mm -hmm. meals or picking up dry cleaning or, or what have you. There's another category where bosses who are spoiled don't want to do some of the difficult things. And they'll mm -hmm. ask someone who's a little bit more senior to do their job for them. Yeah. And because by I'm guessing you're meaning firing people. Firing people, giving difficult feedback, uh, you know, holding people accountable in some way. Or sometimes it can be it can be a more detail-oriented task. Like, I don't really want to have to check the financials. You just go ahead and do that. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes that can be a pretty arduous situation. Like, there have been many jobs where I was responsible for uh, reviewing all the contracts. And, you know, if I, if I had a question, we had attorneys to send it out to. And mm -hmm. it would take hours and hours of my time. And, yeah, yeah. you know, like that could be something there. And because the, the owners of the company didn't want to do that. Okay? Mm -hmm. Well, I was the managing director. I was paid accordingly. That was fine. But there are those kind of slices where a leader will say, I don't want to do this. The problem is, is if you are working way above your pay grade to do something your boss doesn't want to do and your boss doesn't want to give you the raise of the promotion. Yeah. In those circumstances, I think it really is important to name that. Yeah. Whether it's an annual review, quarterly, to just, and you could say to your boss, the feedback, right? Could I give you some feedback? Yeah. I have noticed that you are entrusting me with X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. I enjoy doing that. I think I'm working to my strengths there. I appreciate you trusting me with that work. Mm -hmm. However, those are really vice president level um, you know, right. skills. And right. based on that, I would like to talk about my path to becoming the vice president. Nice. And, nice. and, and name it and, and recognize yep. that, you know, because there's a tendency that I see sometimes, again, especially with women, where they underestimate their superpowers. Yes. That they can do something really skillfully that most people can't do. And since it's easy to them, they don't mm -hmm. recognize that it's remarkable. Right. Right, right. And a lot of times those spoiled bosses think, well, you know, I've got Susie over in operations who mm -hmm. can manage every procurement, every contract, all of our, you know, software systems. I'll, I'll just let her do it. She's so good at that. And Susie, for whom it's easy, it's nothing. You know, she actually kind of enjoy it, kind of enjoys it the way some people enjoy cleaning their kitchen, mm -hmm. does it every day and doesn't realize like this is a significantly important job yep. to the operations of this organization or this is a real you know, money maker for us. We have huge right. margins in this. And so being aware of, are you doing something that A, the boss should be doing, B, mm -hmm. is critical to the company, and C, is well above your pay grade or rank. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. go ask for it. Yep. Yep. I like that. That's, you know, yeah, there is a, there was this uh, great group, uh, art, art collective called SRL, that I like survival research labs and they had this great poster and one of the legends on the poster said demand unearned rewards but I always like the idea which I, I amused me but I often like the idea of demanding rewards like that Vietnam vet uh, mechanic that I was telling you about who would every time he fixed a helicopter would go out and, and go to the boss's office the commanding officer go I fixed that helicopter and goes yeah great uh, no I I fixed the hell. I fixed the hell. Yeah, okay, we got it, Barry. No, I okay, Barry. And I he's just like, I want it noted. I want it collectively noted that these helicopters are flying because of me. And I didn't think that there was anything wrong with that. So I I, I like the idea of being. It's kind of what is a, a squeaky wheel, um, but you're bringing something else to the party. Like the squeaky wheel. You know, this is kind of an annoying thing because usually it's somebody who's tendering complaints. But in this instance, this is somebody who's like telling you, making sure you do not miss what a valuable asset they were. And it leaves you two options. You can agree with them or disagree with them and redirect their efforts. But I, I like your take on it. Like, yeah, let's talk about how, since I'm doing all this top level stuff, how we can fully remunerate me. Well, uh, that's a good conversation. The fundamental idea underpinning this is a negotiating strategy called the takeaway. Mm. Right? When you go in to negotiate, and you say for $100,000, you're gonna get these three things. Yep. And your client says, okay, but for $100,000, I want these five things. 
what mm-hmm. you say is which of these which of these three you know which of the five do you want to take away because you'll get three mm-hmm. if you want a different one one of those other ones on the list is going to go away right right <laughs> and you always do a takeaway and it's 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 more challenging with when you're talking about work duties Right. Because there is this understanding that work-life balance is often fungible and you are going to work the extra hours regardless because you're not an hourly wage person. However, it is mm-hmm. useful to name, I am currently doing these five things as your top priorities and you're asking me to do this sixth thing, which is a menial task. Which one of these mm-hmm. five things do you want me to not do? Okay. How about this? I have another scenario, another cinematic scenario for you. I don't okay. know if you've seen Fires of the Sun with a very young Christian Bale and John Malkovich, and they're pulling into uh, a Japanese prisoner of war camp, and uh, the Japanese soldiers say, pick up those rocks. And the guy starts to give a speech about, sir, I'm an officer in the British army, and I shall not. And they grab a gun, and they knock him in the head, and they knock him down. John Malkovich jumps out of this freight car that's brought them to this place, and uh, the guy on the ground kind of waves him and goes, I'm okay, I'm okay. And Malkovich gives him a look like, and bends down and picks up the rock. (laughs) So, you know, you say, you say, listen, I, I, you know, um, I don't just cutting your edges off your bread, getting you caught. It's not really, that's not what I'm here. And the boss goes, great. Inevitably, there is somebody there who will see this as a road to success and will pick up that slack. How do you, how do you? I think we go back to your first point at that right. at that point, I guess, right? right? At that point, you, know, you need to consider other employment options, I guess, right? But I, I think that the idea of understanding the strategy of the takeaway mm-hmm. as a narrative framing device mm-hmm. is useful. You might right. not be able to employ it. You may not be in a position to go in and say, you know, these things, like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm only going to do five things or whatever. But to understand, they will keep adding things to your plate. Mm-hmm. They will keep mm-hmm. adding things. And at some point, you need to understand the narrative frame that you have, unless you want to work 100 hours a week, which yeah. may be a choice that you're making depending on your industry or circumstances, you're going to want something to come off of your list. And yeah. so even if it's just a framing device for you, it's a useful way to deal with a spoiled boss because the spoiled boss's narrative framing device is that he should feel no discomfort, his every yeah. whim should be catered to, and he shouldn't have to do anything difficult or onerous in his in his work life. That's his narrative. And every decision he makes, every action that he takes will spring from that narrative. You mm-hmm. need to have an alternative narrative. Mm-hmm. And mm. one that can serve as your guiding light, even though you might be able not be able to fully step into it. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Even I, though when you lay it out like that, the, the boss, I was like, yeah, I'd, I'd like a life like that, where <laughs> <laughs> no discomfort, no pain or suffering, and everybody does everything for you. I guess it's good to be king, right? Well, and again, I think we need to look at the systemic and cultural messages mm-hmm. that have built this, because there's a lot of studies that straight men in heterosexual relationships often turn to their female romantic partner to manage not just the house and the childcare and taking the cat to the vets, but also their social life. Their key emotional and friendship relationships are through the woman. And there's a lot of men who have given up agency on many of their grown-up duties They've outsourced it to a woman and they come to work and they're like, okay. All right. The continuation of what happens at home, right? Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, I think that's all we've got time for. And we will be back in a couple of weeks. If you have an idea for a topic or if you have some questions you'd like for us to cover on Sub Rosa, you can get in touch at WTF at badbossbrief.com. I will read all those emails, I promise. WTF. What? I'm still laughing at the prospect of my wife handling my 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 social duties. <laughs> Nobody has any interest in doing that. Not even me. So yeah. But I think that's the key thing is that yeah. with mature, emotionally intelligent, well-rounded men, 
manage their own social life. They can do their own laundry. They do their own finances. They don't need a woman to be managing those aspects of their life. That's not what my partnership looked like. That's not what your partnerships look like. For most people, that isn't the case. But there are a lot of men where there is that default assumption and trajectory and they can take it into the workplace and need to somehow be invited to reframe their narrative about how to behave at the workplace. Okay. All right. That's all we got. See you soon. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Bad Boss Brief podcast with your hosts, Eugene S. Robinson and Stephanie Payrollo. You can check out more of their work by visiting consigliera.substack.com for Stephanie and eugenesrobinson.substack.com for Eugene. You can also find Eugene at Mr. Sleep 3, that's number 3, on Instagram. Reach out with your questions, concerns, workcase situations, or suggestions to us at WTF at BadBossBrief.com. We personally answer every submission. Be sure to join us at BadBossBrief.substack.com every other Wednesday for episodes of Bad Boss Brief and every single week for our Sub Rosa shorts so you can gain further insights into your workplace environments. Until next time, don't be an asshole at work.
another episode of the Bad Boss Brief Podcast with your hosts, Eugene S. Robinson and Stephanie Payrollo. You can check out more of their work by visiting singliera.substack.com for Stephanie and eugenesrobinson.substack.com for Eugene. You can also find Eugene at Mr. Sleep 3, that's number 3, on Instagram. Reach out with your questions, concerns, or case situations, or suggestions to us at WTF at badbossgrief.com. We'll personally answer every submission. Be sure to join us at badbossgrief.substack.com every other Wednesday for episodes of Bad Boss Brief and every single week for our Sub Rosa Shorts environments. Until next time, don't be an asshole.